Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Scientific Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Barron. Join me virtually from Hedgesville, West Virginia's Mr. Darren Shrewsbury, Jr., the poor man, Sonny Romo. Darren, how are you today? Loaded up on coffee? I'm good. I have not had any coffee yet. This may not go well for me, uh, but we'll see. So we'll start off with the NFL today, and, and there are three rule proposals that I have seen. Of course, the owners have to approve these, but teams have a chance to submit these rule proposals here. As we move our way towards free agency, then the drafts, the, league, the new league year actually start like in the next two weeks or so. Uh, so there are three uh, 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 individual rules proposed here. I want to run through these one by one, and then we'll talk about them, which one we like the most. Uh, so the first I have here is the Buffalo Bills are proposing to, to uh, uh, hiring uh, to freeze hiring of of um, head coaching vacancies until after the Super Bowl, and you can't interview until after the conference championship game. Of course, we've seen several coordinators in their bye weeks. Of course, there's only one bye week now, but uh, we've seen where coordinators will – these head coaching vacancies will be filled before the Super Bowl, and the teams that have good offensive coordinators and good coaching staffs who are in the Super Bowl don't get a chance to get hired. What do you think of that? I think it's I think it's a, a fine idea because it also um, one it, yeah it gives them those uh, uh, coaches a chance and I think it also um, might take away from some of the potential distractions that some of the coaches that are in the playoffs already that might have been talking to people already uh, I think it might take away some some of that distraction um, because obviously if you're in a game and going, all right, well, if I don't do well here, maybe they don't want me anymore, you know, and that, that stuff, uh, I can't, uh, you know, speak to exactly how much that affects the game right off. Um, but it, you know, it has to have some kind of effect at some point. Right. And the more prevalent issue, at least to me would be the, I've already been hired. <clears throat> I'm trying to assemble a staff and I've still got a game this weekend. Trying yeah. to balance that. How many times have we seen that become a problem in recent years, particularly in the college ranks, where uh, someone will you know that's what people that's why coaches don't don't coach the bowl game. The bowl game doesn't mean anything, and they go assemble their staff. They go recruiting. In the NFL, there is no recruiting, and the, well, there is, but they can't do it then. And these games matter. It's a playoff game, so mm-hmm. there's a there's a big <clears> step <throat> in that. But I, I'm with you. Plus, let's be honest here. The Bills won't propose it, but the fact that the Chiefs didn't is kind of shocking because Eric Bieniemy should have been a head coach twice by now. And mm-hmm. it's not his fault that team's playing in the Super Bowl every year. Yep. So the next rule the, uh, that has been proposed is a sky judge. Now, if you follow the AAF, or as Sonic one has to say, the AF, uh, I love doing that, uh, like we did then you know a little bit about this. But for those of you who are unaware of this, it's basically an eighth official in the, stand, in the press box whose job it is to have the referees on the field make a clear and obvious area to buzz down and say, hey, you got that wrong, go review it. Or overturn the call if, if, it, if it's something we to come up with. So what do we make of that, knowing that we've seen instances where it's got this actually happened, and I think the AAF was ahead of its time there. I, I feel like does <clears throat> I feel like it's useful because you kind of as as useful as the insight is that someone like uh, what is it Mike Pereira one of the one of the yeah. uh, officiating the Fox uh, guy yeah as, as useful as their insight is into a lot of these calls they're obviously not the ones making the calls um, whereas the, you, you can still get that but the sky judge is like. Hey, I'm watching this, and I have an impact on what's going on because I'm, you know, seeing this from this other angle, or you know, whatever, and saying, "Guys, you screwed up." Um, I think that's. I feel like that's necessary because you kind of get tired of hearing, as as again, as insightful and useful that information is. You kind of get tired of hearing someone like Mike Pereira or whatever go, "Yeah, that call was wrong. I don't understand it," and then obviously knowing that even though he's probably right. That his opinion doesn't make a difference because it doesn't change the outcome of the actual call. Right, I'm sure some people will say, "Well, we had New York to do it in replay." Well, there's only so many plays that can be that can be reviewable. Whereas if a sky judge comes down and says you messed something up big time, that's a problem. 
and we need to fix it because there are some calls that can't be reviewed that change outcomes of games and are wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just take a look at the obvious: the Saints Rams pass interference before pass interference was reviewable. You know, mm-hmm. a sky judge could have come down and said, "Nope, we do it again," and the Saints go on and win that game. And who knows what yeah. happens in the Super Bowl after that? So, the other worry is. Is that sky judge going to be as worthless as the officiating crews typically tend to be in those situations, especially when it came to actually reviewing PIs, for example, which is why we no longer have the reviewable PI rule. It's it's like you hope it'll be useful, and obviously that's why you do it and try it out, but it still makes you worry if is that sky judge going to be as worthless as half the officials on the field sometimes. Do you think this will bog the game now, that we'll get so many more reviews and, and mistakes? Uh, honestly, not really. I mean, generally, it doesn't seem like there are that many blown calls a game. Um, I mean, even though a lot of us fans would like to believe there are. Um, <laughs> Especially but, when it goes against our team. Yeah. When it goes against the opponent, it's the right call every time. But I can't imagine they're going to be looking at every single possible thing like, oh, no, there was a holding on that play. You missed it. Oh, no, wait, that was a holding or, you know, because obviously those, as they say, holding on every play. But you know, they're going to be, I would have to hope they're going to be resolving that power for something that was so obvious or something that really needed just an extra bit of attention, not something like, oh, you, that holding call wasn't a whole, you know, that should have been a holding call or, you know, some things like that. Let me introduce, let me introduce you to a, uh, to a, thif- a slippery slope here. In soccer, they have what they call video assistant referee or VAR. And VAR was originally instituted for clear and obvious errors by the referee on the field. And like offside or a a handball or a penalty or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. But it's set up to where, let's say I'm, let's say it's me playing you and my team has scored on the, uh, has scored, but there might be an offside on that play. But there also was a foul committed back at the halfway line that could have that should have stopped the play then. VAR would not only look at the offside, but they would look at all the build up to the goal. So, you know, that's a problem here. If there's PI on the back end, but there was a holding on the on the offensive line, it's a DPI on the back end, holding on the offensive line. You know, or roughing the passer, whatever that was missed. You know, what what do we do here? If there are multiple penalties on the same play, what do we really point out here? That's what my concern is here. On the base, on its on its on its purest, most simplest form, it's fine. But I wonder how it will be used, and I fear it would be used the wrong way. Yeah, because I mean. I think since we're worried about time thing now, you'll correct me on this one, of course. Does if they have extended stops for like the VAR doing their stuff in in um, soccer? Yeah, do they? um, I know that the officials can uh, add extra time at the end of a game at their discretion. Right. Does that factor into it? So if you have a okay. two-minute stoppage time for VAR, two minutes will generally get added on to however much stoppage time is put on the end of the match. Okay, so the so that offsets a little bit there because in its own way, but obviously in the NFL you don't have that option to go. Oh, because you know it's already stopped. Time's already stopped anyway there. But um, in terms of getting, I don't know, more gameplay. Or I don't know, whatever, or reducing the effect that that stoppage had. But um, it. But in the in the NFL, if you're spending you know ten or twenty minutes, for example, not that I would imagine they're going to do that. Obviously, I hope not. Uh, then you, if they spend that long or if they spend that extended amount of time, you might as well just stop doing it at all. Just all right, guys, we've taken three minutes for no freaking reason, and we can't come up with it. We we can't make a decision here. Um, but obviously, I would have to imagine that there'd be some there would there would have to be some specific limits to exactly what you're looking at and. Also, if uh, also adding a you know a time limit if there isn't already something like that to say, listen, we we can't look at this longer than this. If you can't make a decision now with this time, you're never making a decision. 
Right, because what's the key phrase we've always heard in the instant replay? Indisputable video evidence to overturn the call on the field. If it takes five minutes to make a decision, you don't have indisputable video evidence. Right, it's like, I'm sorry, but there's only so many angles we get in the football game, and I don't think we have, you know, it's like, well, okay. Yeah, and if the sky Granted, judge... we get a lot of bad ones, too. A right, lot of bad true. angles. It, that's true. And here's the thing. If the sky judge is looking for a clear and obvious error, then that should be fairly easy to point out and go, okay, you messed up. Here's what you did wrong. You're corrected. You know, it shouldn't yeah. take a, if we take more than three minutes here, there's a problem. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the important part is since the, if the sky judge is there solely for clear and obvious mistakes, that's the only thing he should be interpreting. He shouldn't be interpreting. Well, was that a holding? Was that not? He should be going, dude, that was the most blatant PI you just missed. You need to call it. Right. If, if it's used for that, I'm, I'm fine. I just – it's yeah. the NFL and nothing is ever black and white. Even the Raiders uniforms aren't black and white. <laughs> exactly. There is a big, huge gray area below the belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the last rule that I have – I know you brought up something else, but the last rule that I have written down is the Eagles closing a fourth and 15 as opposed to an onside kick. This is another AAF thing. Uh, the AAF basically went away with kickers. Effectively, so I'm I'm fine with this. Uh, I believe it's about a ten percent increase. I think getting a fourth and fifteen is like twelve point something percent, and, a, and an onside kick was down to like two percent last year or something like that. It wasn't very often that we got. It was below ten percent. I know that. So yeah, it was fourth, like uh, what was it like six out of eighty-seven or something like that. Something like that. It was very very small. But the point I'm making is that it's easier to get a fourth and fifteen now. Than it is to get an onside kick. So in theory, this makes it a little bit easier to keep the game going. What says you? Um, I think I'm. I mean, I'm fine with it. But I, at the same time, I'm like, kicking is a big is in its whether people acknowledge it or not. Kicking is a big part of this uh, of this game. And uh, you know, stand stand by the brand, man. Um, <laughs> the is so I would hate to see options taken away that that a takeaway from the importance of kickers in that way, because an onside kick done really well, you know, that hypes up a kicker and that hypes up a team and nothing is more exciting than seeing a hyped up kicker. (laughs) (laughs) Pat McAfee literally made his brand literally on that. Exactly. (laughs) So I, I think it's a, it's a, it's an all right proposal. And if it was there, I wouldn't complain, but I, I wouldn't want to have like is it, it? I guess the question is: Is it an an either or thing? Is it a you get fewer than fifteen, or you get onside kick, or you get the choice of both? I if you get the choice of both, I would much rather prefer that. But I, I wouldn't want to replace one over the other. I don't remember what I saw on that one. I know last year there was a proposal, I believe, that said you could get a choice of both. But this comes down as a player safety issue. They determined the onside kick is more dangerous, and the 4th and 15 is not as dangerous, even though there's still a lot to go wrong. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think, I think if they stuck with, like, having the choice, I'm fine with it, but I, I don't think I'd like replacing it entirely, because onside kicks don't seem to happen that often anyway. I mean, like I said, 87 times out of, what, 256 games – that's not that often. It's maybe once, once or twice a week. <laughs> right. So I mean, it, it. Look, it's not. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not. I. I'm with you. I'd be more fine if it was a either or thing. But I, <clears throat> if it's just a, this is what we're doing and kicking, taking the onside kick out of it. I can live with that. Here's a here's an off kind of an off ball question, but it kind of makes sense too. If they eliminate the onside kick. Is the next step eliminating the kickoff and just going from the spot from the 25, whoever wins the coin toss? Probably. And at that point, you might as well just eliminate anything regarding kickers because otherwise the kickers are – I mean, kickers are already kind of sitting there for the most part. But you might as well just eliminate anything related to kickers because, again, if if you only got a guy who's on there just to kick a PAT or just to kick a field goal when he's just three or four other things he could be doing, then – I feel like you're just you're further devaluing that position as well, and that's I don't really like that. 
Um, and that see that also reminds me of playing little league. It's like. We're not in fourth grade where we don't have kickoffs. I didn't have kickoffs to playing most uh, until I was in sixth grade. We didn't do kickoffs. So it's like this is little league crap you're proposing. Now I get it. There's there's always player safety taken into account. But there's a point where it's like you are taking away an extremely exciting part of the game. If if my player, you know, if someone, if, if whether it's a person on my team or someone else, returns at 105 yards to the house, that is exciting. After just being scored on and you know returning the the favor two seconds later, you don't get you don't get that too often. But when you do, it's extremely exciting. Um, otherwise, you're just getting the ball back at twenty five and going, "All right, can I just bump it seventy five yards right. in two seconds?" And I was and like, only, and, I, "I'm far the more excited." Yeah. So I I would if it got to the point where they were eliminating the kickoff entirely, I'd say it would slowly become the death of the NFL because. <laughs> People are already pissed at the NFL for multiple reasons, of course. Uh, some of them valid, some of them totally ridiculous. But um, it would I think it would start becoming that point where it's like, what are we doing here, guys? This is, literally is not Little League. These, I get it. I, I will you – know, player safety is always important. But when you start getting to the point where you're basically mimicking Little League football, then that just takes away all the excitement. Always remember it. this. The most important person in the NFL is not you nor a player. It is mom who has a kid playing PB football. The NFL has to sell themselves to that because mom can pull her kid out of it. The kid does not get to play football, and the NFL dies a slow and painful death due to no participation. That's why all this, the most important person in the league office at 304 Park Avenue or whatever it is, is not you or me. It's mom who has a kid in PB football. They watch the Today Show. The Today Show runs a thing about concussions. Mom freaks out. NFL dies. Yeah. Yep. It's like I'm. Yeah. In the end, I think again, I, I, player safety's is the most important, of course. Um, but there, there's, there are certain levels where you. I mean, again, it's it's a contact sport. You are going to have all of that, but yes, minimize it, but. I, I feel like it would just turn a lot of people away if you got entirely away to the kickoff, and, and then it'd be the it, they'd be killing themselves one way or the other. Um, yeah, I guess it, it really comes down to a balancing act, and how do you do it properly? And do I have the answer to no, that? No, I don't really. think anyone really does. To be honest with you, uh, there was also a proposal that you had brought up before the show. What, what was a? It was the reinstitution of the, of the uh, no. It was passing. It was roughing the passer being reviewed. Yeah, I I'm trying. I have to look at the. Uh, I don't remember the exact details, but basically, it, it it said it was a proposal to have that reviewed. I'll I'll be pop it open real quick. Um, I can't remember who. I don't know if anyone proposed it specifically or just the NFL and entirely as a whole. Let's see. Can the league do uh, that? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Uh, it just says NFL, so it never said a team. But let's see. Um, opening to this to this article from Pro Football Talk. Good news: roughing the passer could be subject to a play review. Bad news: roughing the passer could become subject to replay review. <laughs> Who wrote that, Florio? Of course, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, only Florio would put it that way. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see if it says who actually proposed it. Uh. Owners could vote to make roughing the passes of Japan. On one hand, it's necessary. Um, I don't the think it says... committee, I guess, in theory, could formulate something to propose to the NFL. To the owners, because the owners yeah. vote on it. Let's pop open the... the competition committee could very well have done that. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why someone would waste their time doing that, but oh well. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't see anything specifically pointing to a, a single team saying... Let's let uh, let's. Now, what's the it. verbiage here? Um, what's the gist? But yeah, it's, it's yeah, but it's um. So, given the way the rules were written, the replay process would entail scanning on a frame by frame basis any and all available angles for potential instances of roughing based on the broad literal application of the rule. Uh, it would become from a coach's challenge perspective a potential emergency option to extend a drive, and for every interception, which makes the replay. Process automatic. Part of the second look would entail checking to see whether roughing the pass will happen. So, if an interception occurred, they would automatically look for roughing the pass as well, in case 
the pass got, uh, you know, the quarterback got roughed after throwing said interception, which obviously would, would nullify that interception. Um, and then obviously the challenging of the roughing the passer, just as we would have done with PI. So in one instance, in one certain circumstance, it makes roughing the passer an automatic review. Um, in the case of an interception, and in the other case, it's, hey, I think he was roughed, throw that challenge flag. Um, and then uh, I guess one of the support supporting items of that is that uh, when the Vikings beat the Lions week 17, <laughs> a game which no one paid attention to, <laughs> there was a really bad roughing the pass and pass call that I guess helped the Vikings um, win. I I feel like I remember that call, but again, I also did not watch that game. So I don't recall exactly how bad it was. I think I remember complaints, but I don't recall the video um, or the actual you know, vision of what happened. You there. know what from the passer stands in the penalty uh, standings from the 2020 season? It was the I seventh don't. most called penalty. So number one to number six are as follows. False start, offensive holding, defensive pass interference, defensive holding, unnecessary roughness, neutral zone infraction, defensive offside. Pass roughing the passer was called 122 times for 1,606 yards for a total of 0.48 penalties per game, netting 6.27 yards per game. This does not seem like something we should be looking at. It's insignificant. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean it's the significant, pass, but it's also roughing like, the okay. passer turns out. Yeah, it's like roughing the passer turns out to be uh, what, an automatic first down, right? As well, right? Yeah. So I think, I think reviewing it in its own right in certain circumstances, but I feel like I feel like adding the challenge does exactly what PI challenge will do. People are going to see it. You're like that was obvious, but they're not going to challenge it. It's not going to be overturned because. When was it ever overturned with the PI rule? And they're just going to stick with what's called. I, I think in the case of the interception, or, or maybe, a, well, not a fumble, of course, but in the case of interception or something that turned into that, I think maybe doing a quick review on that, possibly, because there, there are things like that that might be missed. But again, it's, it's probably so rare, obviously, that it's not going to make much of a difference. But seeing if someone hit a quarterback one step to uh, with one extra step after an interception take would hypothetically take a lot less time to tear apart it's like did he have three steps yes did he have two steps yes uh or you know he's safe uh what is it it's two steps and you're safe three steps it's a penalty or is it one i'm not step sure but here's another thing that you should we should, we should throw in there what happens if a guy gets pushed into another, like the offensive lineman is finishing his block, and he gets pushed into him? Does that get called as roughing the passer? It was late, but he couldn't do anything about it. Did we open up that web rabbit hole as well? I'm talking like I'm with Fudd now. So, so if the offensive lineman pushes the defender right, so if into he's, the or, or vice offensive versa. lineman, because they're, they're, so if the offensive lineman is finishing his block, doesn't know the pass has been thrown. And just in that process of finishing the block, happens to throw the defender onto the quarterback, or in the general direction, and momentum keeps I, him going. I I think it, I think it would be for the most part. Again, this is hypothetically speaking, should be easy to tell that that was the case. I mean, if I can see that the lineman threw him off, and then just the defender happened to run straight into him, that's. I should be able. I should, and I say should because I. Uh, we obviously know that most people end up missing a lot of the obvious. See the PI rule again. Um, be able to tell that that was not the defender's. Or fault. another example of that would be just without the offensive lineman there. If the if the defender who's you know a big, big chunk of man, comes over and you know <laughs> he can't. He can't stop himself. Momentum carries him into the quarterback, and it only is just a, a graze to like near the shoulder, but below it. That you know, are we to the point where we're protecting quarterbacks? Yeah. The point where we consider that to be for the passer instead of the guy got drilled yeah. and shouldn't have. Yeah, I think it's a that's a good point because I mean, as we've seen uh, uh, in the past past couple of years, and one of them happening to Tom Brady, I think it was two years ago. 
um, where there was a roughing the pass called when, when a guy barely happened to, to, to just graze Brady's face mask and they threw a roughing the pass uh, flag. Um, I questioned, even though it helped us, <laughs> um, everyone else questioned it. Um, so it, it all, it does bring in that question of, well, if you called the P, if you called the roughing the passer, did he actually do anything? D- does a slap on the, on the shoulder pad on accident or even on purpose, a slap on the, uh, now that might be an unnecessary roughness or an unsportsmanlike, maybe just slapping him on there, but uh, depending on the context, but if I'm just going, uh, I, I, I'm slapping at him to miss uh, to, to maybe stop him from throwing the ball or swatting away when I'm near him. And then I happen to hit his shoulder pad after the ball's out uh, with my hand. That is that that's crossing the line. Anytime I see it, because it's like this guy didn't push him to the ground. He didn't tackle him. He didn't, you know, land on him with all his 400 pounds of man. Um, so why are we calling this? It doesn't matter who it's for. You shouldn't call it. So I think adding that in there, maybe again, that happens still not too often, but it's still something to go. Well, maybe I should take that back because obviously he didn't do anything to put the quarterback at risk, which is the main point of this rule: is you're you're saving the quarterback's butt a bit or trying to. Um, and me getting grazed in the face mask just ever so slightly doesn't doesn't affect me at all it, uh, yeah pretty much <laughs> that's the best way you can put it i mean really it kind of is so uh hold on I- i'm with you there so that pretty well wraps up our uh our um what's my what i'm looking for there we go our segment <laughs> i uh, i need a coffee to frame this what i needed this morning i didn't even get it so we're going to move on now to the collegiate ranks. Oh, no, we're not, actually. I don't know why I was thinking about that. We have more stuff to go on to with the Patriots running back situation. So the two questions we've been saying the whole time are what do we think of it and where, and where is your rank in the NFL? I'll give you the four as always, my friend. What do we think of the Patriots running back situation? And uh, where is it in the NFL, do you think? <laughs> Uh, they have a lot of depth. They have a lot of things to choose from. One, they've got they've got Michelle and Damian Harris. They've got J.J. Taylor, who did uh, fairly well when he stepped in last season. They've got Brandon Bolden, who was an opt-out, I think. Uh, yep. Right? He, I think he Special was one of the opt-outs. Too. Uh, and then, so, so those are the four guys that are already on the roster that are at this, at, as of right now, as it stands, are guaranteed to be on the team. Guaranteed with air quotes, of course, because anything can happen. Um, but then they've got Rex Bughead and James White on going on free agency. Uh, so you've got a lot to choose from. You've got six guys to choose from, essentially. Uh, two of them you got to decide if you want back. I would argue with everything in me that you want James White and Rex Bughead back. Um, but it comes down to... Uh, would you get rid of Bolden or Taylor? Which one? Because uh, I wouldn't get rid of Michelle or Harris. If if anyone says you should get rid of Michelle or Harris, I will tell you to go jump into the nearest freezing lake and punish yourself. Does um, the river count? But okay, yeah, that All works. Right. It's pretty cold. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as I, I would argue. You bring back James White and Max Buckhead, or one of the. You bring back at least one of them. I would love to see both of them, but this is the Patriots, and they never do what I I want. And frankly, they shouldn't. Because, <laughs> but James White is, is is one of the best receiving backs in the league, and Rex Buckhead is has consistently shown that when he's needed, he will step up and and obliterate you for it. Granted, he's also coming off of an injury, and that might factor into things. Um, but I would love for either one of them or both to be back. Uh, so really, uh, but at the same time, again, I'm not complaining with J.J. Taylor either because he stepped up when he needed to. And then Brandon Bolden, when he gets to play again, you know, I'm I, he's effective as well. So I think it's a pretty good position. Um, I, I would I would say in terms of the options they have, it's it's top, top third of the league at, at least. I won't give a solid number, but at least... Who was the leading rusher on the team last year? Uh, Harris. I think he had almost Correct, he's 91. Yards. Followed by Cam Newton at 592. Then Sonny Michelle at 449. 
Rex Burkhead at 274. James White had 121. JJ Taylor at 110. And then it goes to like, then it goes and it drops really drastic. The next is Gunner uh, Oshevsky with 23 yards. So it's a massive drop off from your top five, six to your next double digit guys. So, yeah, I mean, it, I'm with you. I love the depth here. Let me, let me ask you this. If you had to pick one to stay in New England, Rex Burkhead or, or James White, who do you think will stay and who do you want to stay? And if it's the same person, please clarify. Um, it's, it's super tough. Um, I, I think because of how extremely effective he is in the passing game, I would say both for James White. Um, he's, there are so many things he can be utilized. Now, Rex Burkhead can be utilized in, in the passing game as well. He has, I don't think he's obviously utilized as much, but he can be. But because you absolutely know that James White is the guy you can rely on to be that receiving back, um, as well as, you know, be a speedy running back when they actually utilize him for running, um, I'd say that, and especially factoring in the fact that they need some receiver help in some way. And if he can be that little bit of help, then absolutely keep him there because that's they need some reliable receivers, whether it's from a running back or a wide receiver, obviously preferably a wide receiver. Um, I say James White, but again, I wouldn't be disappointed if either one of them stayed because – Rex has shown exactly why he should be on this team as well. So, but I, I think we, for most practical and what I think the team would do is James White. But the the question the, the question uh, becomes: yeah. Is Rex Burkhead having him as depth more valuable than someone else you can fill that roster spot with? And with the depth mm-hmm. that this team needs to accumulate, the answer might not be yes. I mean, it it really yeah, might not I be think, as much as both of us would hate to admit it. It really might not be the case. Yeah, exactly. And especially because, I mean, obviously they have a massive amount of cap space, but they've got a lot of things they need to work on. And they've already got four guys on contract. And that could change, obviously, you know, that someone could get cut, someone could get drafted and replaced. But, you know, Taylor's obviously going to be pretty cheap because he – was it, he's going into right. his second season, right? He was a rookie last year. Rookie deal, not the, um, how they drafted. Well, probably in the, the like hundred thousand dollars or something like that range. Yeah, I have no idea how much Brandon Bowen's getting paid, but obviously it can't be that much considering he's uh, well. One, he opt, well, he did opt out, and two, he he was probably going to be deep on the roster in the roster on the depth chart anyway. When he, guy. I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah. Yeah, so they're probably going to save a lot more money having them on there rather than trying to fork out for Rex Burkhead. And again, I would say pay the man, whoever you are, pay the man because he, he is reliable. Um, but I, I think definitely from a money standpoint, you can't keep both. And I would, in that case, I absolutely know I'd I'd rely on James White much more than Rex Burkhead, even though I know he is reliable. And JJ Taylor's getting paid seven hundred eighty thousand dollars. Ah, for comparison, uh, Damian Harris is getting paid $850,000. So this running back core is relatively cheap, at least two of them are. Uh, and that presents mm-hmm. potential good things if you're looking to build the rest of the team yeah. around it because you know you've got guys that can run. Sony Michelle is uh, one of the high – is uh, where is Sony Michelle? I had him. There he is. He's making $1.7 million. So, I mean, you've got just under $3 million tied up, or right around $3 million tied up in the running back position. That's not that much. So you can, as much as we hate to say it, James White's probably the best answer here. Yeah, because you got, you got one, he'd be the, he'd, he'd be the most veteran on the team there in the running back core, and two, he's, I don't know what he costs what he had been, you know, costing the team. But again, I can't imagine it's going to be, you know, doubling or tripling. Uh, maybe eh, could I could double. Think I don't it know. Would. But it, it definitely, it, it definitely would no. not triple. It definitely would not triple the cost of the running back core, keeping him around. Um, 
so having the both of them again have the leadership, but having that, having uh, everything else he brings to the table, um, it just elevates you, that level even more. And I get, I, I, I say you really need I mean, him. Let's just let's assume it's James White, Sonny Michelle, and Damon Harris as your three main backs with JJ Taylor coming in whenever he's needed. You've got Damian Harris, who is the grounded up, bruise you, beat you up till, till you blew him in the face kind of deal. Sonny Michelle mm-hmm. can do that, but he's also comfortable in the passing game. You've got James White, who can run, but he's more comfortable in the passing game. So you've got three, you've got a, two guys on one end who are really good at one thing and can do the other. Then you've got one guy who's a mixture of both. That works out really well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I really love the idea of Rex Burkhead being there to kind of – because you're taking a snap away from someone. I don't know that that really helps the offense in terms of finding a way to mesh and become a, create a matchup problem. Yeah. And, and it, would almost, it would almost be inevitable that even if you have four, four or let's say in the end you end with five running backs, someone, at least one of those running backs each game, probably, you know, the bottom three or you know, bottom two or three, or one of them are going to be uh, inactive each week. I, can oh, almost, yeah. I would almost bet it because so at that point it really would be like, well, why exactly are we bothering uh, keeping six? Because then you probably, unless again, with Brandon Bolton, since he's a special teamer, he'd probably be active most times. So it would almost always come down to like, oh, are we activating JJ Taylor? Or are we activating Rex Buckhead, for example? Right, and it uh, just it, it would almost yeah and the, and the the craziness that is the NFL. Yep. All right, let's move on. Now we're going to college. Now we're moving on to the West Virginia running back situation. Enter touchdown, Letty Brown. And what's your other kid's name? <laughs> Thank you. Alex Sinkfield. I know. I, could, I had it. No, I was trying um, to think if it wouldn't happen. But I love the running back core. I can't remember the rest because, yeah, I can't remember the rest of it now. But, but I love it regardless. Uh, uh, and, yeah, because, I mean, they all Into the Patrick feisty. meme. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's oh. see. Um, let's see if this shows up. Uh, no, that doesn't show. Okay, that's just the. That doesn't. That doesn't look right. <laughs> just shows Bloody Brown. Where are the rest of them? Little did we know they right. canceled the entire running back core other than Bloody Brown. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Bloody Brown. You are the running back core. Um, let's see. Yeah, Letty Brown, uh, Owen Chafin or Chafin. I, I don't know I, if it's. Uh, I seem to remember like Chafin. A... I've got the. Uh, yeah. I've got the stats from last year pulled up, from rushing and receiving. Gotcha. Letty Brown obviously led him. He got over a thousand yards. It was. Uh, Tony Mathis. It. Tony Mathis. Sorry. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. That's the other one. Uh, Alex Singfield. Here's something that's going to surprise. Might not surprise you. Jared Daggy had 40 rushing attempts for minus, for negative 101 yards. That's what happens so when sacks count single handedly as they He single-handedly should, brought down this team's average. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. Tony Mathis had 18 carries, 55 <laughs> yards, six, uh, 3.1 per play. Garrett Green getting 6.7 yards per, per carry on uh, 40, uh, 40 yards on, in six games. So, hey, that works out, doesn't it? Uh, uh, Letty Brown had nine touchdowns. Alex Infield had three. Jared Eggy had two. Tony Athens had one. No one else scored a rushing touchdown for West Virginia last season. Hmm. But overall, this and, – and we just talked about it last week. I mentioned it. Uh, they were ranked in the top ten in running back recruiting uh, in the nation this past signing day. So – we got a good mm-hmm. running back. Well, they turned the off. They turned the running game completely around and became the strength of the team instead of the glaring weakness. And now they got some buys on the way. This Holy. should be good. Holy crap! That is a that's a lot of running backs. So I popped up the roster on ESPN now. It's a there's a ton of them. There's Letty. Oh, I didn't realize Letty Brown was from Philly. Uh, but Letty Brown, yeah, Owen Chafin, Lorenzo Dor. He's a senior. Chafin's a freshman. Tony Math. Wait, what? 
Tony Mathis isn't a freshman. I thought Tony Mathis was a that doesn't seem updated, right? I thought Tony Mathis was like a junior. Either way, Tony Mathis, Morquan Rucker, Alex Sinkfield, a very a uh, a various Sparrow. So Sparrow and Rucker, I think, are definitely freshmen. No. But why does he, it say Tony he, Mathis a is a freshman? Wait, what? He's a freshman. Tony yeah. Mathis is. He was a freshman in 2019. He had the, the it doesn't count toward your top oh, 20. And that's then, right. That's right. Okay, so all right, yeah, that's wow. I thought he was already like I thought he was at least a, like a sophomore or junior, but then because of traditionally all, then, wow. he would be okay. That's not traditional college football. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right then. So yeah, it's a lot. Of, I don't. I can't obviously say much about the Chaffin, you know, Chaffin or Rocco or Sparrow, but obviously, if they're ranked, the the draft. Oh, sorry, the recruiting class is ranked that high. Then uh, obviously, they got to be good. Let's focus ups. on the uh, on the three main characters here: Sinkfield, Brown, and Mathis, because that's where we're really. Unless someone comes up and makes a play, and we'll know more about that when we get into spring ball and then summer camp, we'll get there. But as of right now, we got the three main characters in that on that in that backfield. I love them all. I think they're going to be really, really good for us again this year. I can't wait to see the progression that gets made, especially based on the progression that was made last year. Granted, there was a whole lot of room for progression. I don't know if there's really that much room now, because then you're getting in like the Travis and Lenny Brown was already in the Travis Etienne Clemson territory. But mm-hmm. the question is. How much further do we go for the ceiling, and can we break through said ceiling? I don't know that yet, and I won't know it until we get in the fall. Yeah, but we sure hope he does break that ceiling. Yeah, <laughs> we got a helmet too, so we can break that without worrying about glass. So we're good. Yeah, let's uh just just pull out the old Owen Schmidt, and just start busting face masks. Yeah, maybe just... not. <laughs> we don't need the cost yet for the money right now. <laughs> Shane Lyons would be like, I don't care what you do. You got to come up with that money. I'm not paying for it. I got like 15 other sports <laughs> to fund here. I don't have, and, and the COVID thing, I don't have the, I don't have the attendance money. You got to do something, man. Hmm. It's like, man, you, you, listen, you're putting the hut on people, but Nick, come, come on, on, man. <laughs> it's like, coach, this is what you hired me for, uh, hired, recruited me for. <laughs> You know what I forgot about something in terms of the college uh, portion of our show today? I just realized we can get into that now because we're done with this. The less mile situation at Kansas. That's a big, that's a big oh 12 story. Can we talk into this? He's done. There is no if, ands, or buts about it. I think, he's, I think his coaching career is over. Yeah, you don't get placed on administrative leave and then come back. I don't. How many times does that happen when right. these things happen? I can't think of very many no, times it, that it has. In fact, I can think exactly. of zero and plus, times he, <laughs> that I'm aware too. of. Traditionally, when a Power 5 coach gets fired and they want to rehab Vickery, they go to like an uh, American Athletic Conference school or a conference or a high school or a Mountain West school and they rehab their career and they come back. Les Miles' career rehab was Kansas. There's no one that would take a chance on him now. He was already mm-hmm. in career rehab, and then he relapsed, if you want to use the pure rehab uh, example. But then we have this coming in. That's a problem. Now, I will say this, and this might be viewed very badly, but this is what I believe. I hope that Kansas, because this is back in 2013, I hope that Kansas conducts an investigation with the intent on trying to get the most information they can. And I say this not because I'm a fan of Les Miles, but just because I'm, I believe in giving someone their due diligence. If mm-hmm. you can prove that his mentality toward women has changed and that he has made progress for the better, you have an argument to keep him on board. If you cannot prove that, he has to go. That, that just, to me, there's no other option. If you can prove that he gave it, that he has improved, and there is actually a change in his mentality, fine. But if you can't, he has to be fired. But please, for all that is good, do an investigation. Give him a fair chance at this. Not just for your football program, not just for your school, 
but for the sake of doing at least what's right in terms of being fair. Mm-hmm. Jeez, oh wow, I didn't realize. Like, I knew there was some, some of the stuff, or like at least the general Bodsky, but I didn't realize some of the it's bad. things they were investigating. Holy crap. Um, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, th- wow. See, this when you read that, you realize he's not coming back. This can't, he, he's done. No, it, but I still hope the investigation is done to at least at least give him a chance at proving he did something right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one thing I've seen that, of course, this is an opinion piece, as, as just to be clear on that. There's one that's basically saying that obviously if uh, this ends up with Les Miles being being uh, fired and all that, obviously it comes down to how much money is he <laughs> is he privy to of what he's owed, and then he'll probably never coach again, as well as saying that they should throw everyone else associated with him uh, that was associated in that scenario gone as well, including they, – they now they say this as well – including – the I think the athletic director at Kansas that hired. Oh, him. they're they're going after Jeff Long. Oh, yep, that's exactly what they said. Boy. They ba- they're basically saying that anyone tied to him at all with any of this, especially the the AD, should just be should be sacked. Oh boy. Now I'm not going to say whether I agree with that or not because obviously this is its own opinion piece, and and this guy could just be off his rocker. I don't know, but he, that's what this guy's calling for. I mean it. it- it kind of makes sense in the in the sense that if you look at how head coaches are hired, they're supposed to be vetted. <clears throat> and if you mm-hmm. vetted this guy as well as you say you did, or or would yeah. say you did in the instant ever came up, like now, mm-hmm. then you would have known about this, and therefore you chose not to care. But yeah, but but I mean... but if it was a, and yeah. I don't know how Kansas hired him. But if it was a search firm mm-hmm. they hired, like a lot of people do, did they yeah. really, you know, did you get that? So I think it was, if I, because they did a, his first year at Kansas, they did a ESPN Plus uh, series called Miles to Go. And they started that mm-hmm. filming before when he was hired. I guess they started filming it uh, before he was hired. I, I don't know, but they picked it up right then. And they showed him looking at the hiring process after they fired their previous football coach. I think it was Jeff Long who had worked with Bless Miles previously or had known him previously and felt like they could go get him. So that if it if it ties back mm-hmm. to the AD, that guy has a point. Yeah. I mean, exactly. If if there was any inkling that this was something you might have to deal with and you hired this guy anyway, you deserve to be to be thrown out to the streets for for one, ignoring the possibility and two, not making anyone else aware that this was a thing that might have to be dealt with. Because then not only are you look, making well yourself, uh, you look bad for ignoring it, uh, you're making the school look bad by association, which obviously is not something the school this, would want to have this, to deal with. The same with. school that had a basketball program in trouble with the FBI. And now you've got this. Yep. This ain't good. To put it lightly, it's not good. Nope. All right. So on a much, 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 900 times much better, uh, Bob Packers <laughs> goes for 900 career win today against Oklahoma State at 2 o'clock. I believe that game was on the SPN. You and mm-hmm. I have been really – we're just happy this can happen in Morgantown, right? That's the biggest thing. Yeah. As as I said, there's literally no other perfect, more perfect scenario than this one right here. Outside of having the stadium packed, which obviously it will not be, um, you, you're literally rolling in to your, your home co- uh, court, Senior night, last home, your last game, last home game of the regular season, going for your 900th career win as a coach. Outside of not having, or outside of having the stadium, or the Coliseum packed, which I 
at this point, particular moment, I wish it was, but obviously, uh, realistically, it should not be. Uh, this is the perfect scenario to end the regular season with. Winning that, getting 900, and rolling on into the Big 12 tournament. I, I'm with you there. I mean, it, it, it's... Now, of course, Huggins <laughs> will say all that means is I'm old. Like, he's right. <laughs> but He's but, right. Uh, yeah, it, it really is kind of crazy when you think about it. I mean, it, it's just... It's, it's crazy to think that this person who is so successful has been at... It was went to West Virginia playing basketball, and then now he's, you know, he he's done so much here. He took us to a Final Four. Yeah, and it, mm-hmm. you know, it, to have one of the all-time greats sitting on your bench, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one. Of the, I, I can't uh, from what I've seen. I don't see much of anything outside of of just straight up respect for him from anyone else in the except the Hall of Fame committee, and except the Hall of Fame committee. The Hall of Fame committee needs to get off their asses um, and put the man in. Um, But if he he needs to be just straight up, but uh, it's going to be one of those once his he's done here. Hopefully that's not for for another while. Um, that he'll be the he'll be the next statue in front of the Coliseum. Especially if they win a national championship. He should be, and if he isn't, if he wins a title, oh, absolutely, he's gonna get. Now he, you know what's ironic? He said if he (laughs) wins a title, he wants to take that trophy around the state and around the whole state and parade it. Mm -hmm. Win the thing this year, you can't do that. (laughs) <laughs> and that would be a total West Virginia thing, wouldn't it? We win the championship this year, and we can't do what we all want to do. Yep. Man, that would suck. That'd be... It'd be great. It'd be great, <laughs> it's like, oh, it's we gotta... like... Yeah, it's like, well, we got to postpone. Man, if, if we won that <laughs> but... title, we would be jumping on here and be like, hey, guess who just won this thing? We... We would probably just sit here mm-hmm. laughing and giggling from pure excitement for the, for the better part of an hour before we even started to speak. Uh, yeah, it's like we wouldn't shut up. The fans wouldn't shut up. <laughs> McAfee <laughs> wouldn't be quiet for the next ten years. That ma- that man would be that man would be sipping any, whatever energy drink he could to stay and, up for the next ten years, making sure every single person listening to him knows especially what just happened. Especially because he lives in Indianapolis, <laughs> where the tournament's being held. <laughs> It exactly. happened in his own backyard, in the stadium that he kicked balls in for a living. Mm-hmm. If if he if if something like that happens and he doesn't start off his show every every um uh, every day or, or even in his show every day with oh and we've got a natty well, then the, then uh you know I I don't know what what he. I, I wouldn't well, know who he is anymore. Ago, I want to remind you all, West Virginia University is national champions in men's basketball. We've got a great show for you. Yep. The NFL draft is today. Trevor Lawrence practically going number one. By the way, West Virginia won a championship month and a half ago. In case you've forgotten that. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. Also, it, he, he would just I could just imagine him looking at the time clock. Oh, let's see. One month, two days, <laughs> 36 and a half minutes, and 20 milliseconds ago. WVU won it now. <laughs> Don't forget it. <laughs> Fifteen years down the road. Oh, hey guys, remember that one thing that I don't ever let you forget? Oh, well, it's back. Oh boy. Oh boy. And that's, that's exactly what he do. I, mean, I was tuned into that night. I mean, just be reminded of that. Like I don't even care yep. who you have won. I'm listening. Oh boy. Oh boy, especially if he goes, if he kept going on college game day, they'd be doing like the Iron Bowl. Like, yeah. Even though West Virginia won a championship in basketball, guys. Hey, B Street, remember that? Kirk, remember that? Desmond, we beat Michigan. <laughs> oh. All right, but in all seriousness, this is it. It's a chance for it to be a really special day in Morgantown today, and Oklahoma State's really good. The number seventeen, they're seventeen and seven. Uh, <clears throat> They have the presumptive number one overall pick in the NBA draft in Cade Cunningham. This, as great a case would be, it will not be easy. 
This mm-hmm. is something that West Virginia got down 19-2 and then came back and won in the second part of the Oklahoma road trip earlier this season after Sheboy left. So, here's the thing. There's going to be there's going to be a crowd there. It's going to be limited. But they're going to have to make noise and get Oklahoma State off their game a little bit because they're going to come in here. They're going to come to play. Exactly. Now, you were talking to me earlier this week about how loaded the Big 12 is. The Big 12 is uh-huh. low dead. Every single team except for, I think it was TCU, Iowa State, and Kansas State is And ranked. they're all in the top 20. I think I'm missing one. Yeah. Yep, and they're all in the top 20. And every, obviously every single one of those have a winning record. The bottom three are all losing record. I think TCU's even, actually, at 500, but... uh, um. That might – I don't know if they got one more game left. That might change. But uh, everybody who's anybody at this point, which is everybody except for those three, um, in the in the Big 12 are making a name for it. And if – I'll just also throw this because this would be exciting in – you know, I, I don't know where they'll end up if they lose. But if they win, I think they solidify themselves there as number two seed in the, in the Big 12. Um, they might st- – Still have two seed, maybe three seed if they lose. So, I'd have to look at the how it all plays out again. But. So here's the here's the situation here. Uh, Baylor has won the Big Twelve. They're twelve and one in the league. They're twenty and one overall. West Virginia's eleven and five in the Big Twelve. Eighteen and seven overall. Kansas is twelve and six <laughs> in the league. Nineteen and eight overall. Texas is ten and six. Sixteen and seven. Oklahoma State is ten and seven in the league. Seventeen and seven overall. Texas Tech is nine and seven in the league, seventeen and eight overall. Oklahoma is nine and eight in the league, fourteen and nine overall. And then TCU is five and ten in the league, twelve and twelve overall. Kansas State, Iowa State fans might want to close your ears for this one. Kansas State is three and fourteen, seven nineteen overall. And Iowa State is throwing a donut up in the uh, league win column. They're zero and seventeen in the conference, and they have but two wins all season, combined with twenty losses. It ain't good. <laughs> no. They're actually not the lowest scoring team on average in the Big 12, though. That's Kansas State. Kansas State is scoring 61.2 points per game. Iowa State is scoring 65.7 points per game. Yet they've <sighs> lost against State twice. <clears throat> yep. Go figure. Uh, oh, no, they've lost them once. Yeah. Iowa State, they, those two played today. So Iowa State can't get off the bottom of the league. They can get their first conference win. And the mm-hmm. Big 12 tournament starts next week. Uh, the bracket for that will be released <clears throat> after uh, today, after the games this weekend. Because we still have some things. We still have seeding we need to figure out. So we can't go on that just yet. Uh, let's see here. Yep. But yeah, this, the Big 12 is <clears throat> excuse me, loaded. And it's going to be really fun to see the Big 12 tournament next week, isn't it? That's going to be mm-hmm. fun. We didn't get one last – well, we started one last year. West Virginia didn't get to play the Big 12 tournament. So we didn't really get a chance to care. Yeah. Now on to our incredibly wacky and weird story of the day. And this is crazy. In 1983, Terry Bradshaw has elbow surgery, effectively for what they – well, effectively was tennis elbow in, uh, in Louisiana. And attempts to hide his identity to keep himself, uh, you know, as athletes I'm sure do have surgery all the time, but don't actually, you know, go under an alias. His alias was Thomas Brady. Yes, I said that right. <laughs> the Steelers quarterback called himself Tom Brady, proving once and for all that he is the original TB12 because that was his number, and he really, you know, he was Tom Brady for a, for a surgery, so... Just saying, Tom, give the name and logo to Terry Bradshaw, the rightful owner of TB12. Just saying. Yeah. That's crazy, isn't it? How'd that not come out until now? Right? I, have I mean, no it's idea. like, I saw it at the anniversary that was on Wednesday, and I saw it, and I'm like, <clears throat> we couldn't think of that until now to bring that up? Really? All right. Yeah, but it, it it's that's that's kind of the story I guess we wanted to, t- you know it, it's 
the wacky fun stuff that you know, it's the wacky, the weird, the what the hell. That's what we'll talk mm-hmm. about in that segment, but it's it's fun. Speaking of fun, fun show today, huh? Yep. And uh, that end that just about wraps up our show today as well, because we have going to have to talk about. We've got to get this show out before. <clears throat> The, the basketball game today in, in like two hours from we're recording this. So, for mm-hmm. Darren, I'm Lucas. This has been Santiago's number 42. Darren, take us home. Adios.